Wagner is dead, or at least the people that organized and led it. But what does this mean? That is the subject of this special episode of The Ancient Art of Modern Warfare. Welcome to Episode 75 of The Ancient Art of Modern Warfare. I'm Chris Mayer, a retired U.S. Cavalry officer and the guy who's been running these podcasts for the last 73, 74 episodes now. The next episode was going to be about China, Taiwan, and limited warfare. But in the last week, with the apparent death of Evgeny Prigozhin and Dmitry Utkin, there's been a lot of interest, of course, again in Wagner. And since so many of my previous episodes have talked about Wagner or mercenaries or private military companies in general, I thought I'd better chime in along with everybody else to tell you what I think of what's happening and what's likely to happen. So, Prigozhin, Dmitry Utkin, Wagner himself, and other top leaders of Prigozhin's organized crime empire apparently are dead. So, what does that mean? Well, in my opinion, it means that anyone who tells you that they know what this means is engaging in disinformation, either deliberately or negligently. On the other hand, if you're interested in some excellent background information recently published that tells you how Wagner got to be and what came before and what's likely to happen now, there was an article that was published on the August 25th edition of Time magazine by Dr. Candace Rondeau. It's called, Wagner Remains a Force for Chaos Around the World, With or Without Prigozhin. I strongly recommend that anyone who is remotely interested in this subject find that article and read it. And with that, I'll start my own speculation. Was this an accident? Well, as I'm recording this, we don't know what actually happened. I've heard reports from an unnamed U.S. government source that said that the airplane was brought down by anti-aircraft missile fire. I've also heard the BBC report that the British military intelligence has reported that it was the FSB that was involved in this. Other reports that it was not shot down from an external source, but it was a bomb inside the airplane. There's also the opinion that it could have simply been explosive decompression, a failure in the aircraft system itself. Now, I'm not an expert in these things. I am a rated airline transport pilot with the FAA. So I have a little background from which to make some sort of statement. And I don't think it was an accident. I don't think that it was a explosive decompression, a failure in the pressure vessel of the airplane that suddenly brought it down. Mostly because the Embraer 600 has an unbelievably good uh, safety record. In fact, this is the first incident since that type of airplane was fielded that involved a fatality for someone who was actually on the airplane. The only other fatal incident involving the Embraer 600 was when it had a mid-air collision with a Boeing 737. Everybody on the 737 died, but the Embraer 600 was able to successfully return to an airport and land with no loss of life on board. Now, the airplane was fitted with a flight data recorder or and a cockpit video recorder, FDR, CVR. These are are commonly mistakenly called black boxes. They're not even black, they're orange. Anyway, 
those devices have a tremendous amount of data stored on them, all kinds of parameters. I think at least 88, sometimes depending upon it, maybe even hundreds of different parameters of flight data. And of course, the complete voice recording for the last three hours of flight before the airplane crashed anyway, up to that time. And uh, they could tell us exactly what happened to the airplane if you believe that the Russians will in fact tell us the truth about what is on the flight data recorder and the cockpit voice recorder. Maybe they will, maybe they won't. It depends upon what actually brought the airplane down. If it was a bomb, they, they could say that it was a bomb on the inside of the airplane and then conduct an investigation to find out where and maybe they'll even find some people to blame for it. Maybe. The next question is, on whose orders was this done? Was it Putin himself? Maybe. Maybe not. Why maybe not? Well, Prigozhin had a lot of enemies, and all of those enemies had considerable amount of power and authority within the Soviet system, and this includes the perpetual rivalry that goes on between the FSB, the successor to the KGB, and the GRU, which is Russian military intelligence, and the GRU is known to have more or less sponsored Wagner almost since its inception. It could be people within the Russian government who may have overheard something that Putin said and thought that they were doing Putin a favor, something that would get them sort of some sort of reward or promotion in the oligarchy. Such circumstances are not unknown in history. But I would say Putin was at least uh, indirectly involved, if not orchestrated, planned, and approved under his direct authority. I have nothing to base that on, so don't take my word for it. But none of this is important. What is important is to try to understand what will happen now. And particularly, I'm going to focus on what will happen to Wagner, or at least Wagner-type operations as we know them. Now, Wagner was not the first paramilitary, private military company in Russia's history. In fact, it's not the only one that exists right now. And I'll talk about that in another podcast sometime soon. The predecessor to Wagner was the Slavonic Corps. The Slavonic Corps is a private military company that was formed up for complete uh, deniability because the laws in Russia say that you can't have a private military company. It went to Syria and was initially sort of successful and then suffered a major defeat. And uh, after that major defeat, all of the personnel of the Slavonic Corps were brought back to Russia and, in fact, tried, and many of them went to prison. Among those was Dmitry Utkin. Dmitry Utkin, who became the founder of Wagner, who is, as I said earlier, Wagner himself. It's named, that's, that's his nom de guerre, his radio call sign was Wagner. He was then selected by the powers that be to be the first field commander of this new organization called PMC, Wagner Group. Well, why is this important to know? It's important to know to understand that Wagner was not the beginning and the end. There were companies before, and there may be companies after. Wagner itself may continue to exist under new leadership. You know, we've heard those kinds of things before. We've seen those with U.S. private security companies that had unfortunate events and were reorganized. Wagner could have the same thing. 
maybe under Wagner's name. Maybe Wagner's name is considered uh, a brand worthy and it needs to be kept. Maybe Wagner's name is something that needs to be avoided at all costs, in which, is, in which case it will change its name. But the functions will remain. Who will control Wagner? Well, who controls Wagner now? If you believe that Prigozhin was the beginning and the end, that he actually formed Wagner and he was the one that called out everything that it's supposed to do, well, that's certainly one opinion, and it's certainly the opinion that he tried to make everyone believe. But it may not be true. Wagner was created by the GRU and other key people in the Moscow hierarchy because Moscow perceived a need for an organization that could do those things. What things? Well, the same kinds of things that Russian Spetsnaz, which is a GRU organization, would do, but with complete deniability. Or in the words of an old TV series, that if any members of their team were caught or captured or looked bad in the press, they could be disavowed by Moscow. The important thing is that Russia will continue to require these capabilities in Africa and outside of Africa in developing countries as they wish to expand and increase their influence, presence, and control. Moscow needs a resource, a tool, that they can continue to use that enables them to send people out to do those kinds of things, things like training and equipping foreign forces, guarding despots from their own people, conducting low-level anti-terrorist or terrorist activities of their own, anything that Moscow needs to promote Moscow's interests in areas they are interested in, while maintaining deniability that Moscow is the one actually doing it while reaping the benefits from those activities. Those things, those requirements still exist. And as long as those requirements still exist, Wagner, whether operating under that name, reorganized or stood down and then a completely new organization coming in to take its place, such as happened with the Slavonic Corps, those functions will remain a part of Russian operations. In summary, we may have seen the end of Evgeny Prigozhin and Dmitry Utkin but we have not seen the end of Wagner. And you haven't seen the end of me either. So if you like these episodes, if you want them to continue, please hit like. And if you have a suggestion for what you'd like me to cover in future episodes, let me know that too. But please join me next time on the Ancient Art of Modern Warfare.